Several years ago, I was having some major car problems. Anybody been there before? A few of you. Major car problems. My car was doing this thing where it would just basically die in the middle of the road. I mean, I'd be in the middle of a busy intersection, and it would just shut off, wouldn't turn back on. And every single time this happened, I had to have my car towed back to the dealership. Every time it was at the dealership, they would tell me of some new problem that they thought it was, and I would pay them lots of money. I would be on my way. Problem was, every couple days, it would, it would happen again. So as you can imagine, I was getting really frustrated. Um, it was really hard for me, honestly, to forgive these people because it was a lot of money, a lot of time, a lot of heartache, and uh, it was, again, just extremely frustrating. It happened probably five or six different times. Now, uh, I'm not one of those people that typically talks to my car. I don't know if any of you have done that before. It's okay if you do. I don't typically talk to my car. But I remember this one time, it ha- since it was like the fifth time that it happened, I remember looking at my car, and I remember saying, what is your problem? Why do you keep dying? Why do you keep doing this to me? I thought you were fixed. And I had, honestly, some similar thoughts to the people that were working on my car, like, why is this not fixed? It's over and over and over again. And then it hit me. I wonder how many times God feels the same way about me in my life. Because I know that I have let God down time and time and time again every time he forgives me. But I can just picture him looking at me, looking at my life and, and saying, I thought you were fixed. I forgave you. Why do you keep going back to the same thing over and over again? But here's the incredible thing about the God that we serve is that he does forgive over and over. We've all been there. Uh, maybe for you it's not an example with a car, but maybe it's an even more serious example with something that's happened in your life and, and something happened where it's just really hard to forgive somebody that wronged you. But we first have to think about just how incredible it is that God forgives us and, and then as we try to forgive others. When he was on the cross, they were mocking him, spitting in his face, driving nails into his hands and feet. And what did he say when he's on the cross? Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. So again, before we can forgive anybody else, we first have to think about and realize how forgiven and loved we truly are. Unfortunately, there's a lot of people that think they can't be forgiven by God. Uh, Maybe they think, you know, I've messed up too much in my life. Or they think, I haven't followed God my whole life. Why would he forgive me now? But one of my favorite things about the Bible is this incredible truth. The second you come to Christ is the second you're forgiven. Isn't that incredible? Like there's no 15-step process or, you know, a job application or, you know, do this for a while and then you can follow him. No, the second you turn to him, no matter what you've done, you can be forgiven. Think about these stories from the Bible that prove that. The woman at the well, she had five husbands. She was now living with someone who wasn't her husband. She has an encounter with Jesus, and what happens? Forgiveness happens. How about the woman who was caught in the act of adultery? Everybody picked up a stone ready to, to, to throw at her and kill her. What did Jesus say? I don't condemn you. You're forgiven. Zacchaeus, chief tax collector, known for stealing from the people. They couldn't do anything about it. Just kept stealing from them. And what happens? He has an encounter with Jesus. He's forgiven. How about the criminal on the cross next to Jesus who was sentenced to death for whatever he did wrong? And in that moment, he looks at Jesus and says, remember me. And, and Jesus says, you'll be with me this day in paradise. Forgiveness. 
And the truth is this, we are no better than any of the people I just mentioned. Because one sin, even one, separates us from a perfect God. And it's only through Jesus that we can be forgiven of the sin in our lives. If I didn't have Jesus, I'd have to answer for every single thing I've ever done wrong in my entire life. But instead, because I have Christ, when God looks at my life, he's going to see the cross. We also have to understand that there is no such thing as this person needs more forgiveness than this person. Because again, all sin separates us from God. We're equal in that way. It's kind of like this analogy. Have you ever noticed that we treat money completely differently based on the purchase? And here's what I mean. Like if you go out, out to eat, spend 20 bucks, not a big deal. Go out to the movies, $15 popcorn or whatever it is. You know, spend 30, 40 bucks. You know, uh, prices may keep going up. If you want to go to a ball game, you're probably going to spend $100. Go to a concert, you know, plane tickets, vacation, money keeps going up. And, and you know, it's kind of normal. Now picture this. Your friend tells you there's an app on your phone you really need to get. And so they tell you what it is. You go, da- go to download it. And then it says the dreaded 99 cents. And you think, oh, I thought it was free. They didn't tell me it cost money. I'm not, ready. I'm not sure if I'm ready for this kind of commitment in my life, 99 cents for this app. I mean, don't we do that all the time? And you could say the same thing for larger purchases. Like if you're going to um, if you're going to buy a car or a house, an extra $200, $300 probably is not going to sway your decision. But if you're going to a concert and they say that's an extra $500, you're probably not going to go. I mean, that's how we treat money. Here's the analogy. I really believe we do the same kind of thing with sin. It's kind of like we, we pick and choose which ones are a bigger deal than others. We treat sin like, well, it's not really that big a deal if I do this, but when that person did that, that is a big deal. Or sometimes we find ourselves saying, well, I may struggle with this, but at least I don't do that. And we completely miss the point of the gospel when we do that. Romans 5, 8 is one of my favorite all-time verses, and I've got to tell you a true story. The first time I ever heard this verse, I was growing up in this church. I was a kid. I was going through one of our uh, children's musicals. And we sang a song that goes with Romans 5.8. And I, I have remembered that verse ever since, not making it up. It's stuck with me ever since. It says this, For God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It doesn't say when we became perfect, Christ died for us. It doesn't say when we got our life together, <clears throat> Christ died for us. It says even though we are sinners, Christ died for us. His forgiveness is available to anybody willing to accept it because of what he did on the cross. So I have to ask this question. If Jesus forgives us despite our sin, why would we ever still treat certain sins or certain sinners like they're any different than us? We can't pick and choose which ones are okay and which ones aren't. We all need to be forgiven. I've been in youth ministry for about 12 years now. Is that enough to get me to heaven? Uh, I've never done drugs in my life. <laughs> Is that enough to get me to heaven? I mean, overall, I think I've been a pretty good person, and I've, you know, I've, I've preached Jesus on many stages in many different states. I mean, is any of that, let's be honest, is any of that good enough to get me to heaven? Can any of that wipe away the sin, the, the wrong things I've done in my life when I stand before God? 
Absolutely not. I will not be going to heaven one day because of my accomplishments. I'll be going to heaven one day for one reason and one reason only. I have a Savior that has forgiven me of my sin, period. And we have to understand, we have to realize how big of a deal this is that the creator of the universe would care enough about you and me to forgive us even though we've let him down time and time again. I want to show you a couple of clips from an old movie. Uh, some of you may be familiar, there was a new one that came out recently, um, Les Mis, uh, the play or the, the movie, um, many of you are familiar with that. We're going to watch a couple scenes, and from these clips, I want you to picture the bishop, uh, the older gentleman in, this, in these clips. I want you to picture that that's God, and I want you to picture that the thief in these scenes is us. It's a powerful analogy of forgiveness that we're talking about today. Let's watch. So because of our sin, we have wronged God. We have missed the mark. We can't measure up to his perfection, but he forgives us anyway. He loves us anyway. You know, each time we sin, it's kind of like that clip. It's kind of like we slap God across the face, but he still doesn't turn his back on us. No matter what you have done in your life, I promise you, he will not ever turn his back on you. This morning, we're going to read a parable together. It's found in uh, Matthew 18, and it really covers everything that we're talking about today. Uh, being forgiven by God and then taking that and forgiving others. It's the parable of the unforgiving servant. Matthew 18, verses 23 to 35. You can follow along on the screen. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me and I will pay it back, but he refused. Instead, he went off, had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in, You wicked servant, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. So I did a little background of this parable. The 10,000 bags of gold that were owed to the master, if you equate that to our money, it equals about $3 billion. So Jesus uses this illustration to show there's this debt that we can't possibly pay back. Even though the guy said, I'll pay it back, there's no way he ever could. Then he goes out, and a, a fellow servant owes him 100 silver coins, and that equals about $1,000 in our money. He demands to be paid. Same guy, forgiven $3 billion, forgiven a debt he'll never be able to pay back. Goes out, another guy owes him 1000 and he does not forgive him. This parable was taught almost 2,000 years ago, but how 
how real is it to our lives today when it's like, you know, we've been forgiven of every single thing we've ever done wrong in our lives, but somebody owes us a little bit of money, they haven't paid it back, we're not going to forgive them. Or we get to spend eternity in heaven one day instead of the hell that we actually deserve. But you know what? That person was mean to me back in high school. I'll never forgive them for what they did. Why do we do that when we owe a debt we can never repay except for his forgiveness? Romans 6.23 is a great verse. And, and really this verse, you could sum up the whole gospel in one verse. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So the wage of our sin, the cost, the penalty, is death, even one sin. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. So if we're forgiven, we need to forgive others. We live in a fallen, sinful world full of sinful people. And even the people that we love the most will hurt us from time to time. And you may say to me, Tyler, you don't know what I've, I've gone through. You don't know what so-and-so has done to me. And that may be correct, but Jesus knows. He understands. If anybody knows what it's like to be let down by the people that you love, it would be him. There's a couple of verses right before the parable that we read where it says this. Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times. 77 times. It's not a literal figure there. He was simply saying every time, every time forgive as you have been forgiven. How about in Matthew 6, we see the Lord's Prayer. I remember my high school basketball team, we'd always uh, say this prayer before every game, and I know a lot of churches uh, recite this prayer every Sunday morning. It says, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And then comes the part about forgiveness, and I want you to listen close. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Now, in all the times I've heard the Lord's Prayer, I have never heard it recited like this. Forgive us our debts every time as we forgive our debtors some of the time. Also, think about this. If you pray that prayer, so if you read that scripture or you're somewhere where you say that prayer out loud, when you get to that forgiveness part, you are basically telling God that you are okay with him forgiving you in the exact same way that you forgive others. If that doesn't make us think about this, I don't know what will. I've heard a lot of amazing stories about forgiveness over the years. Some of the most powerful moments of my life have been with that topic um, I remember one year at CIY, the topic was forgiveness, and all the students were in tears talking about different stories. And uh, I want to share some of those stories today, and I'm going to start with kind of a lighter example and then get a little heavier as we go. Um, the first uh, story deals with Major League Baseball. I know it's a big shock to everyone that I would talk about baseball, but um, and kind of a side note, too, before I share the story. Up until last year, I forgave the Cubs like every year you know, because they would always lose. There was a lot of forgiveness in that relationship up until last year when they won. So, yeah, I know all about it. But this story is from 2010. Um, there was a pitcher for the Detroit Tigers. His name, uh, Armando Galarraga. Um, he was pitching a perfect game. And for those who don't know what that is, it's basically you pitch the entire game and not a single runner gets on base. Very rare for that to happen. No hits, no, uh, no runners, no uh, errors, no hits by... Hit by pitch, no walks, nothing. 27 batters, 27 outs. 
he was one out away from recording this historical feat. There was a ground ball to first, and he clearly looked out at first base. The umpire called him safe. <clears throat> this was 2010, so it was a little bit before replay, where they, back then they couldn't watch replay and overturn the call. Um, <clears throat> so, and you may say, what's the big deal? You know, it's just a baseball game and whatever. Well, um, put it in perspective a little bit, there's only been 23 perfect games ever in baseball. There's been almost 500,000 career games, 23 perfect games. You have a 0.00005% chance of this happening. But here's the cool part of the story. The pitcher didn't argue the call. He didn't yell or anything. He just kind of gave a half smile and walked back to the mound and finished the game. After the game, when he saw the replay and saw that this umpire had taken this away from him, his demeanor didn't change. He actually said in his post-game conference, I forgive him. People make mistakes. I'm okay. And the media wasn't as forgiving. The fans weren't as forgiving. But the one guy who should have been upset forgave him. The next day, uh, he went out to give the lineup card to the, that same umpire, gave him a hug, and that umpire broke down in tears because he was so moved by the forgiveness being offered. So you may say that's just a baseball game. What about some you know, more important examples? Well, I have plenty of those to share as well. Um, in 2007, on the campus of Virginia Tech, there was a shooting, and there was one, one killer. Uh, he killed 32 people and then took his own life. Uh, outside Virginia Tech, there are 33 memorial shrines uh, to remember the lives lost, and there's all kinds of notes and things that are, that are put on them. Um, the, the killer's last name was Cho, C-H-O, and uh, on one of the memorial shrines, right in the middle, four very powerful words, Cho, I forgive you. How about in June of 2015? There was a shooting at a church in Charleston. Nine people, including the senior pastor, were killed by a 21-year-old man. Just days after the murders, family members of the nine victims each released statements saying they forgave the killer. One of them said, if God forgives you, I can forgive you. Another one said, I forgive him and my family forgives him. We would like him to give his life to Christ, the one who matters the most. And you may ask that question, how could you do that? How could you forgive a murderer? It's only through Christ that that would be possible. You know, I see a lot of uh, posts on social media from Christians uh, basically condemning someone to hell, um, saying this person should be put to death, uh, saying this, this person should not um, have a second chance. And those thoughts may be justified, uh, you know, when it comes to a murderer and, you know, there's a lot of thoughts. And I'm not saying any of those thoughts are uh, wrong uh, in and of themselves. But I do think we have to be careful. We have to take a step back. And, and I want to ask this question as well to those people. Have you ever heard of the Apostle Paul before? Apostle Paul, uh, who before becoming an apostle, oversaw the murders of Christians just because they believed in Jesus. But then he has an encounter with God. He was forgiven. He then became one of the most influential people to ever live. Wrote over half the New Testament. So, whether someone is, ends up being put to death or not, everyone deserves the chance at forgiveness. Also, the story that Stacy shared last week in his sermon, Steve Saint forgave the tribe that killed his father and led them to Christ because of it. You can watch the movie End of the Spear uh, to learn more about that great story. 
Another story that's very close to my heart is the story of Eric Smallridge. Um, a few years ago, I put together a DVD curriculum. Um, it sells online uh, for youth groups, youth pastors, if they want to purchase it for their youth group. And I was lucky enough to be able to interview a guy by the name of Eric Smallridge for this documentary. Um, he was in prison. He was still in prison at the time I interviewed him. He was sentenced to 22 years in prison because one night he drove drunk and killed uh, two 20-year-old girls. But the, as the story goes, um, one of the families decided to plead forgiveness um, and asked to reduce the sentence. And that's the only way a, a sentence can be reduced is if the family forgives and pleads that. And uh, it was granted. So Eric, his sentence was cut in half uh, from 22 years to 11 but when it first happened, he wanted to take his own life. He was obviously uh, just completely messed up over it. But this family came in and forgave him and ended up, he ended up being led to Christ while he was in prison. Now he's a born-again Christian on fire for God. Him and the mother of the girl that, that died, they go around all over the country to different schools. And they talk about making good choices, but they also talk about this incredible story of forgiveness. Um, some of you may have heard the song Forgiveness by Matthew West. It's about that story. And so, again, that's just an incredible story um, to think about. C.S. Lewis once said, To be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. All these stories that I just shared, you know, these are people who really get it. There's no way any of them had power strength on their own to forgive such horrible things or simply because the goodness out of their heart it was because each of them has a savior who has forgiven them more than they could ever deserve think about this too how serious is this to god listen to what jesus said in matthew 5 i'm reading from the message version if you enter your place of worship and you're about to make an offering you suddenly remember a grudge a friend has against you Abandon your offering. Leave immediately. Go to this friend and make things right. Then and only then come back and work things out with God. So how serious is this to God? He would rather you leave your place of worship. Go make things right. And then come back rather than staying in worship while still holding a grudge against someone else. That is how serious this is to God. And so I have to ask the question this morning. For all of us, who do you need to forgive? Maybe it's someone in your own family. Maybe it's someone from your past. Maybe it's someone in your church. Maybe it's someone that used to go to your church. Maybe it's a, a parent that left, that walked out on you, or somebody you've, a parent you've never met. I just want to encourage you, don't ignore how God wants us to treat forgiveness. We have each been given more than we'll ever deserve, and we owe that same forgiveness to other people, even if they don't accept it. If they don't accept our forgiveness, that's on them. Our job is to forgive. You know, the, the, the way the world is today, everybody is ready to pick up a stone and ready to condemn, ready to throw it at someone, but that does not have to be you. Do you want to be like Jesus? Do you want to make an impact on the world? like Jesus, what better way than to forgive? 
what better way to show Jesus to the world than to forgive someone even when maybe they don't deserve it or from someone who wouldn't expect you to, what better way to show who you are and who you represent. And I encourage you to start today. Don't wait. This very day, make that phone call. Make that trip to someone's house. Cover it in prayer and forgive. As we do every week, we're going to take communion together. And this would be an incredible time um, to, to ask forgiveness as you spend time with God. And I hope and pray that as you hold the emblems in your hand, that if he hasn't already, God will lay someone on your heart that you need to forgive. Think about in this time, in these few moments, what Christ had to endure so that you and I could be forgiven souls. There's no greater news in the whole world. Before we take communion, let's pray.